0: Hello again, I'm Tony Payne, and welcome back to the weekly newsletter and podcast that for some reason I decided to call The Painful Truth. Not because it's full of my truth, but quite the opposite, because it aims to explain and explore the truth of Christ crucified that shapes and directs every aspect of our lives as his people. And in today's episode, I want to talk about small groups, and in particular, small group leadership. I was part of a discussion just the other day at our church about the nature of small group leadership. It's a very fruitful and interesting discussion. But it occurred to me as it progressed that the debate about what a small group leader really is, that is whether the role of a small group leader is to facilitate a discussion or whether a small group leader is more of a teacher or leader, that this debate just seems to come back in every generation. And in fact, the answer to that question, is a small group leader essentially a facilitator, or more of a teacher, seems to kind of go in cycles. I remember back in the 1980s, most people in my part of the world would have answered that question more down the facilitator end of the spectrum. The prevailing view then was that the job of a small group leader was not to deliver a little mini-sermon or to be a teacher as such, but to open up and stimulate a discussion around a particular passage of the Bible, to get things moving, to keep it vaguely on track if possible, but not to feel that it was your role as the leader to impose a conclusion or teach some kind of lesson for the group. Then in the 1990s, I guess I'm thinking, there was a real swing away from this kind of thinking. The pendulum swung more towards seeing small group leaders as teachers, and Cole Marshall drove much of this discussion through his classic book, Growth Groups, or should I say Training Programme growth groups, Cole argued quite explicitly against the idea of the small group leader being a facilitator, and trained a generation of small group leaders to think of themselves more as teachers and leaders, as small-p pastors even, who took a measure of responsibility for the spiritual health of the group members. The leader's job in growth groups was to help the group learn what the Bible was teaching, not just to share opinions and have a discussion. And this meant doing sufficient preparation to really understand the passage and to be able to lead a Bible discussion that revealed and applied the passage's main points. And in the heyday of growth groups, it was assumed that most leaders would prepare and write their own Bible studies most of the time. Now, was this a high bar for many leaders and churches? Well, no doubt it was. And perhaps this is why the pendulum seems to have swung back towards facilitation in recent years. The increasingly common pattern these days, as far as I can see, is for small groups either to do some version of the Swedish method, that is, where you just look for key thoughts and questions and applications in the passage in a fairly loose fashion, or to use pre-written studies, often prepared by church staff in line with the current sermon series. And so leaders tend to see themselves more as a chairperson than a teacher. And if there is a conclusion or a landing point to get to, it's the one that the pre-written study provides for you. And so small group leaders writing their own Bible studies from scratch now seems to be a rarity from what I can see. Now of course I'm very tempted at this point, being the kind of person I am, to engage in a kind of rant about falling standards and this wouldn't have happened in my day kind of thing, but perhaps there is something actually helpful to say and useful to say by thinking afresh about the pros and cons of each side of this pendulum and to see if there's some way we can find a better way forward. Let's start with the teacher-leader kind of side of things. The main weakness there, as we've already suggested, is simply that it places really high expectations on the average group leader. And this not only makes it harder to find suitable people who are willing and able to embrace that level of responsibility, but it also means that their training is more demanding and takes longer and is harder to fit into the church program. And I guess that they are more likely to burn out after a few years. Many churches have found that trying to train all their leaders to this level is just unrealistic and places a cap on how many growth groups can actually be run. How many churches, I wonder, can find space in their program to run the full 10-week growth group training course for all their would-be leaders? I would suggest not very many at all. Then again, the teacher-leader model may seem unrealistic, but it's very realistic in another sense. It has a realism about the ineffectiveness of loosey-goosey facilitator-type discussions run by inadequately trained leaders. If, as the old saying goes, that sermonettes produce Christianettes, then I guess we'd also say that meandering discussions without a landing point produce meandering Christians without a landing point. And the strength of the teacher-leader approach is that it recognises this. It recognises the weakness and potential danger of poorly-led opinion-sharing and does something about it. The goal, after all, is not simply to have a discussion, but to let the Word dwell richly among us, to teach and encourage and edify one another in and with and by the Word of God. I guess this is the goal of all Christian fellowship, and the small group is one particular type of that fellowship, and it's hard to see why leadership and purposefulness wouldn't be needed in this context of fellowship as much as in any other. To think that it will all just happen without well-trained, good quality leadership is a touch naïve. Then again, this good intention can prompt a teacher leader to exert too much control over a small group, and to squelch or crowd out another vital facet of small group life, which is the opportunity for members to speak the word to each other for mutual instruction and encouragement. This is perhaps the key strength of the facilitation approach. The facilitator's whole aim is to stimulate one another speech, to let the conversation flow freely and go where it will. There's maximum opportunity for mutual encouragement in this kind of group, even if there's also maximum opportunity for departing from what the Bible passage is actually about. So where does all that leave us? Can we stop this pendulum swinging somehow? Is there a Goldilocks solution? Well, yes, I hear you pastors say who write Bible studies for their leaders. That's exactly why we write these Bible studies. It allows us to exert some direction and quality control over group discussions, but not to place too heavy a burden on our leaders' shoulders. Well, perhaps... Except, in my experience, pre-written studies can be the worst of both worlds. There's not the freedom of undirected exploration and discovery, since there's this list of seven questions that we know we have to get through. But unless the studies are written very well and the leader is experienced, maintaining any kind of natural flow and momentum to the discussion is quite difficult. It often feels clunky, like we're reading someone else's lines, because we are. A question seems to be driving at something, but none of us can figure out exactly what it is. Leading a genuine Bible discussion towards a conclusion is just not an easy thing to do. You need to have a very clear idea in your mind of where you're heading, and to have identified some of the key milestones that you need to pass along the way. And this is simply not possible, it seems to me, without training and adequate preparation. The kind of leader who can make good use of pre-written studies, in other words, is usually the kind of leader who doesn't really need pre-written studies. So where does that leave us? What's the solution? Facilitation? Or teacher-leader model? Or somewhere in between? Well, before I say anything else, I have a confession to make at this point. I reached this point in the podcast and began to outline a way to think about small group leadership that preserved the key strengths of the teacher-leader model of growth groups, but at a more achievable level for the average or beginner leader in most churches, and then remembered only at that point that I'd actually written and published a training course a few years ago that did precisely that. I guess this is what comes of just churning out too much stuff over too many years. And so this nice little podcast that I was quite enjoying putting together suddenly turned into a thinly disguised promotional piece for one of my own training resources, which, as a good Australian, is very embarrassing. So if you're prepared to believe me, and thousands wouldn't, as my mother used to say, I'll leave further mention of this training course that I've written to the end and continue with what I was about to say about small group leadership. A useful way to think about the leader of a small group Bible study is that he is neither a full-on teacher, nor merely a chairperson or facilitator. He is a tour guide. His role is to lead this little group of Bible tourists into the Word so that they arrive at the major landmark that every tourist needs to see. That is, the main points of this Bible passage and what they mean for our lives. There is almost always more than one route that will get you there and there may be side streets and other attractions that you stop to look at along the way. And in fact, occasionally you may spend so long looking at something really interesting along the way that you don't get to the major landmark. But the key point is this, the small group tour guide can only lead his little party of tourists to the destination if he knows the way. He can only nudge and direct his ragtag group of easily distracted tourists to the major landmark if he's been there himself already. He may have a printed map or a set of directions in his hand, like a pre-written Bible study, but if he doesn't actually know the way himself, the journey will be clunky and dissatisfying for the tour group, and they'll wonder why he didn't just give them the map and let them figure it out for themselves. In other words, there's no avoiding the reality that a small group leader must personally understand the passage and its key points before he embarks on leading others in a discussion of that passage. This requires three things. It requires a decent amount of experience as a Christian in reading the Bible. In other words, newish Christians don't tend to make good small group leaders. It also requires a decent amount of training in how to understand a passage and lead a group to that understanding. In other words, providing pre-written studies or maps can't replace the need for high-quality training for small group leaders. And finally, it requires a decent amount of prayerful preparation each week. And I would say for most people, that would be at least two hours. It's enough time to get to know this passage really well and to understand what God is saying in it the leader needs to feel confident that whatever twists and turns the discussion might take, he knows the destination and how to get there. With this training and preparation under his belt, the tour guide leader can use a whole number of approaches to guiding his group to the destination depending on his own personality and experience. He might favour a more kind of easygoing approach, let's just start exploring and see what we find. But this works because he's very familiar with where he needs to get to. Or he might be the kind of person who prefers to write down his directions in detail to prepare and write his own Bible study, as it were. Or if he's more of a beginner tour guide, he might lean more on someone else's map with some of his own notes scribbled on it. That is, a pre-written Bible study by somebody else. But whatever the method that is finally used, the ideal outcome is a genuine group exploration of God's Word with enough freedom to enjoy the journey and benefit from it along the way, as well as enough direction to arrive at the destination, which is to hear the message that the living God is speaking to us through this passage of his life-giving word. Well, I hope that's a useful way to think about small group leadership, a way that is both achievable for most people and also allows people to grow in their ability Uh, and in their skills in leading others in discussion and understanding of God's word. But if training is necessary for equipping leaders for this kind of tour guide leadership, what sort of training are we talking about? Now, growth groups, the classic Cole Marshall course, is the kind of Rolls-Royce program for equipping leaders for this kind of tour guide leadership. In fact, there's a nice little section in growth groups about balancing control and freedom in small group discussions, much along the lines we've been discussing in this article. However, I guess it's worth noting for many people Growth Groups is just too much. It functions these days more as a resource book for small group leadership than an actual 10-week leader training course, which is what it was originally designed to be. And that's where this new training framework comes in that I wrote a couple of years ago with Marty Sweeney, our US director of Matthias Media. It's called The Small Group and the Vine. And it's a more achievable five-part training framework. It has some videos and a workbook and so on. It could be done in a series of Saturday seminars or over a weekend or on five consecutive Monday nights or something. But whatever the format, the idea is to provide small group leaders with enough good quality training so that they can understand their role and have the basic tools in place to prepare a Bible passage for themselves so that they can be a good tour guide for their groups. If you'd like to check out The Small Group and the Vine, you can go over to Matthias Media and just search for it on the website. Or if you go across to the Painful Truth website, I've included a sample of the opening session, an introduction to give you some idea of what it's like. Now, whether or not you use this particular resource, The Small Group and the Vine, the important question to consider really is how are we training and equipping our group leaders to be good tour guides of the word. I suspect the chief problem for many churches is intentionally and deliberately carving out the time and space to train small group leaders well. And if this resource can help you do that, that would be wonderful. Now, one final point. Some of you may have noticed throughout this discussion that I've just been consistently using he and his as if small group leaders are always of the male variety. And in case this comes across as just chauvinism uh, rather than grammatical convenience, which is what it is, let me just say that many of the best prepared and most skillful small group tour guides that I've known in my life have been the female leaders of women's Bible study groups. They often put their male counterparts to shame in the care and preparation that they put in to lead their groups well to the word. Well, that's about it for this week. Really interested in your feedback and responses to this issue and to the whole question of how we train small group leaders and what kind of role the small group leader role is. As usual, you can head across to the website and post your comments there. The newsletter form of this week's podcast is always there on the website as a post, and you can read it and share it from there, and also, of course, just make your comments, or you can send me an email. Just drop me a line at tonyjpain.com at me.com. Well, thanks once again for being here this week on The Painful Truth. I'm Tony Payne. Bye for now.